Well, Paul, as we've uh, mentioned a couple of times already this morning, one of this country's uh, finest journalists and authors is uh, Gideon Haig. He's written over 40 books on any number of topics. But those of us who are cricket lovers are delighted uh, that his latest book is on one of the modern greats of the game in Wazim Akram. It's called Sultan, a memoir, Wazim Akram. And I'm delighted to say we have Gideon on the line uh, this morning. Morning, Gideon. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, Gideon, uh, looking at the books you've written on cricketers, particularly individual cricketers, um, they've had uh, or you've concentrated on those with a story outside their uh, prowess on the game. Mm. I think of Jack Iverson and Shane Warne and Victor Trumper and even uh, Dan Christian, one of your more recent ones. Mm. What was it about Wazim Akram that piqued your interest? Well, he asked me. Simple as that. It would never have occurred to me to write about Wazim without his invitation, but... Uh, little over a year ago, uh, his wife, who is Australian, uh, Shanira, contacted me uh, through, actually, it was because of a guy that I play cricket with uh, that, um, that we had this sort of uh, distant acquaintance. And she said that Waz was interested in telling his story. Uh, now, Waz, when he retired, um, had you know, settled into life as a commentator and, uh, and a, and a um, a commercial proposition. He's become a very wealthy man in his in his years since the game, but he never set down uh, his own testament. And now he has kids in their twenties and uh, and also a daughter who's seven years old, who have no recollection of him playing. And she thought it would be a good idea if uh, if he set down his life story so his kids understood him better. Uh, and would I be interested in helping? Of course I would, because he's not just a great cricketer. He's the elite of the elite, perhaps the best left-arm bowler in the history of the game and certainly the greatest left-arm seamer that, that you or I or anyone has, uh, has seen. And it was also an opportunity to probe the enigma of Pakistan cricket, which mm-hmm. is something that we study from afar and is often very mysterious and, and contains all sorts of subterranean agendas that we don't understand. Well, what could be a better tour guide to Pakistan cricket in the last... 40 years, but uh, but was a macram. Gideon, did you put any uh, uh, parameters in place before you agreed to do the book? Was it like if you if we're going to do it, uh, we've got to sit down one on one, and you've got to tell the whole story? Look, I think um, you you pretty soon get a sense from talking to someone how willing they are to to go that extra mile. Uh, I think if 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 Waz had not been sort of wholeheartedly in favour of the project. I would have thought well, I can probably think of better things to do with my time, but it was it was pretty clear from our early chats that he was fully engaged with the uh, with the notion. He doesn't need the money. He doesn't really need the profile. Uh, what he does need, I think, is a is a is a he has a feeling that he could be better understood. Uh, there are certain things around Waz's career that he's not had the opportunity to have his say on. Everyone else has. And here was his chance to get things off his chest. Well, we'll get to those things in a minute, uh, Gideon. But uh, in the modern world of sort of cricket academies and central contracts and the dreaded word pathways, um, his entry into test cricket was entirely different. Can you just talk about the early days and how he got into the test team? Well, I mean, it's it's a very Pakistan story. You know, he was um, he was from a poor family in a very uh, congested part of, uh, of of Lahore, a place called Mazang, these tiny little streets with these uh, vertiginous multi-storied flats. You know, he um, until he was in his 
teens, he shared a bed with his grandmother in, in, in his extended family. He was literally spotted on the street by, uh, by a man going past who happened to play for a local club. And, uh, and he encouraged him to come down to his club. And, you know, he used to pick him up every day on his motorcycle and take him down there. And he just started bowling. And you're right. It's, a, it's, a, it's got nothing to do with pathways. It's got nothing to do with loads. He literally just was given a ball and told to bowl. And he bowled and bowled for hours and hours and hours. There was no one around to tell him to stop. There was no one around to tell him to bat or to, or to do fielding. He just bowled. And he set up the nets. And he watered the nets. Uh, so, and as the years went past, he, he got faster and faster and he learned to swing the ball. Uh, he was successful in the club competition. He was spotted, sent to a training camp. Uh, from there, he was picked to go to another training camp and he happened to bowl in the nets, age 17, to Javed Meandad and hurried him and beat, beat the outside edge a few times and Javed said, this guy can play first-class cricket. So his first game in Pakistan was playing for a President's Eleven against the two in New Zealanders, and he got eight for, and before he knew it, he was on a plane to New Zealand. He'd, he'd Really, he'd never been on a plane till, till that stage. He didn't know that, um, that, you, uh, that the food that you got on the plane was for free. He didn't know how to use a knife and fork. Uh, you know, that's, that's how callow a youth he was, but... He was picked for a test match in New Zealand, got seven for first time up. And um, you know, before he knows it, he's, he's an international cricketer with a reputation. Done entirely on natural talent, the absolute minimum of coaching, until he came under the influence of Imran Khan. And Imran, to this day, is his great guru, his, um, his, his go-to guy. They still speak every couple of days. Uh, Wes still calls him skipper. Uh, the, the esteem in which he holds Imran is, uh, is, is, is acute and, and lasting. And I happened to get the opportunity to speak to Imran in the course of doing this book, and the, the regard is reciprocated. Uh, you, you said that he, he wanted to have a, bigger, a better story or better, his children have a better understanding of, hmm. of his story. Um, there's some things he's been brutally honest with in the book. Uh, um, were you surprised that he that he was letting you know some of the the deep and dark secrets of the past? Well, I mean, these things kind of tumble out. Projects kind of get their own momentum. You know, when we started, it was it was pretty much a cricket book. But as time went on and we grew to like each other and trust each other more. He sort of got into the spirit of the thing and decided that, well, if he was going to tell his story, he was going to be absolutely candid. And I certainly wasn't going to discourage him. Um, I wanted him to feel comfortable. I wanted him to feel safe. But I also wanted him to, to do a book that satisfied him, that, uh, that left him feeling as though uh, he, had, he had said everything that he had to say. And you're right. I mean, I was surprised at times by the level of candor, particularly when he spoke about his, his first marriage, uh, his wife's death. Uh, his uh, battles with addiction uh, post his cricket career, and and also you know the, um, the it was fascinating to to get a ringside seat at uh, at all the shenanigans, all the political manoeuvrings uh, around the Pakistan team in the in the 1990s, of which he was a, a player, but but also a victim. Mm, I'll get to that match fixing in just a tick, but uh, Gideon, uh, I was watching uh, the replay of the 1992 World Cup final, which they obviously had on before uh, the T20 World Cup final 
on Sunday and my impression at the time was because of his background, Imran Khan's background and Oxford education, that he was sort of a, mm. a little bit aloof and a little bit distant from his teammates and looking at that replay I saw he had his test cap on and everyone else had their one day cap on <laughs> <laughs> which sort of confirmed what I thought but then I read that sort of uh, extract from your book and he was incredibly involved with Akram's uh, career, you know um, oh, yeah. both on and off Absolutely. the field and remains to this yeah. day you say. Yes, I think um, off the field in particular, because uh, you know, you're right. He had that uh, he had that pedigree. He had that patrician bearing, didn't he, Imran? Mm. He was at home absolutely everywhere. He was, um, you know, the object of fascination. Every room he walked into, and uh, you, they say you must never meet your heroes, but but Wazim did, and it was a wholly kind of salutary experience for him. I think not only was he a great guide in bowling, but also in, in how to live a life, how to be a man. Uh, and you know, as, as I said, he still defers to him on uh, on on matters. It's not like he's unillusioned about uh, about Emran, and he tends to to stay out of politics in Pakistan. Mm. Although politics has a way of drawing you in, whether you like it or not, in that country. But uh, you know, just imagine having. Changing next to Imran Khan and getting his advice on a daily basis. I mean, wouldn't that change your life? Mm. He's now married to an Australian, Gideon. Uh, he obviously has a great affection for this country and a love of not not just uh, uh, the cricket here, but the whole place. Yeah, he does. I mean, he's a he's an interesting blend of the very cosmopolitan in the sense that he uh, leads part of his life in Australia, part of his life in England. He's still got a house in Manchester because he played for 10 years with, with Lancashire. And a man who's extremely proud of being a Pakistani and has certain quite strong Pakistani attitudes. Uh, he's very patriotic. He feels the sufferings of his countrymen acutely. Uh, he feels very loyal to, uh, to, to, to Imran and to, and to the players of his generation. Uh, I know that when he's in Australia, he, he actually arrives in Australia today to do some publicity for the book. I know he's got various engagements with the Pakistan community. He's going to do some some fundraising work for uh, for flood relief. And the other cause that he's dedicated to is diabetes, because for the whole back half of his career, he suffered from uh, from type A diabetes, and it, diabetes is a is a is a, is a plague in, in every country but particularly so in South Asia where diets have, have altered so much and consciousness of, of nutrition and, uh, and, uh, and self-care uh, not of, of Western standards. He has been um, a great proponent of uh, proper medication and, and decent nutrition in his, in, throughout Asia and, uh, and he continues to do so. He takes those responsibilities very seriously. And Gideon, I mean, he was fairly detailed in his discussions about the match-fixing allegations that were swirling around Pakistan cricket at the time. What was the outcome of the inquiry that was held over there? And in the course of the book, did he sort of disprove or prove his innocence uh, as far as you were concerned? Well, um, normally one doesn't have to disprove ah, innocence. Good point. You know, it's it, hard to it do. It is a case of, yeah. <laughs> uh, look... Well, I, I mean, of course, as a journalist, I covered the, um, the match-fixing controversies of the, of the 1990s. And uh, a lot of us uh, you know, followed the various inquiries. There was not just the Qayyum Inquiry in Pakistan, but the King Commission in, uh, in South Africa. Uh, there was the, uh, the, the investigations of Mark Warren uh, and Shane Warren in Australia. 
you know, a, a vast quantum of, of evidence was was produced from from various sources. It was remarkable how little was actually proven. I mean, the, the nature of these offences is that they don't um, produce sort of documentary trails. Often it becomes a question of one man's allegation against another man's denial. Uh, what I did find interesting about revisiting uh, the, uh, the, the Kaim inquiry was that perhaps we in Australia and England did not understand quite so well uh, the political intrigues within the Pakistan team at the time. Now, after the retirements of, of Imran and Javed, there was a great power vacuum in, in Pakistan cricket. They had... Uh, maintained a, a pretty long period of stability in that game and all of a sudden the kind of the center of gravity was removed from the pakistan team there were a lot of competing agendas a lot of strong personalities who were vying for uh eminence and and for office in uh, in pakistan look one of the easiest ways to, uh, to to get your way in pakistan cricket was to trump up allegations of match fixing against a rival and I suspect that that was, that was behind a lot of the uh, uh, rumour and innuendo that, that surrounded Waz, that, uh, that there, were, there were people there who saw Wazim as a rival. Of course, he was the first post-Imran and Javed captain of, of Pakistan. He only lasted a year because, um, because players basically said they wouldn't play under him. It was a classic kind of Pakistani power play. Uh, and I think for the rest of the 1990s, you know, Waz had five different turns as Pakistan captain. It's just extraordinary. Mm. Uh, he never said no to it, but he always knew that the um, that the office was uh, was, was temporary. That eventually, um, in the event of failure, which in, in most countries is is inevitable at some level, he would be undermined. Uh, so this was the, the match fixing was was part of the the swirl of uh, of uh, drama. Uh, in that Pakistan dressing room at the time. And uh, I, I think as I stood back from it and got the opportunity to ask Waz questions, I, begin to, I began to understand the, uh, the context of those allegations and how they were so devilishly difficult to, uh, to, to stand up to any uh, standard of, uh, of judicial investigation. The Qayyum Inquiry basically decided that Waz should be found because... Uh, even though nothing had been proven, there was enough of a kind of a swirl of allegation that he should be given a fine to kind of put him on the, on the, on the straight and narrow. It's a bizarre way mm. to hand out justice, frankly. If enough people say bad things about you, then you deserve to get fined. I, I don't know, that would not make sense in this country, but somehow it does in Pakistan. Uh, Waz had never actually read the Qayyum report until I did this book. I think, to, to a great degree, he'd shut out a lot of traumatic memories from this period. But once we started to drill down, it, it all started to come back to him. And, uh, and the more time I spent with him, the, the better I understood the, uh, the overlapping and, uh, and interlacing rivalries uh, of which he was a part. Gideon, uh, after spending so much time with him now, and you, we talked about his success on the field uh, financially, he, he's very well off now, and there's been a lot of uh, downs as well. Do you get the feeling that he's content with life? Yeah, I do, actually. I do. Uh, I think COVID uh, was, a, was a blow to his family. His, uh, his kids had to, uh, had to pull out of college in the US, uh, 
Shanira, his wife, had to spend a lot of time in Australia with their, with their daughter, just getting her started in, in school. Uh, he is, um, spends most of his time in Karachi these days and, and also in the UAE doing work there. But, um, but I think this book was very therapeutic for him. It was an opportunity to set the past down uh, and, and in a way to seal it off. And now he's, you know, now he's had his say. I think he's he's pretty happy with the uh, with with the end result. Um, looking forward to catching up with him in Sydney this week. We're uh, we've got a launch at uh, on Thursday night at uh, at Willie the Boatman in St Peter's. Then we've got a launch in Melbourne on Friday at uh, at my cricket club. Uh, it's an opportunity to to talk about the book, which um, which has been our sort of plaything for for the last year or so. It's an opportunity to share it with a, with a wider audience. Uh, he's a great raconteur. He's a great personality. He's an amazingly charismatic man. I mean, as you can well imagine, he still looks great. <laughs> he's a man who's really looked after himself, partly because of the diabetes, but, uh, but partly because he's a man who's, who's got a lot of masculine pride. Uh, you, don't, you don't forget an hour spent with, uh, with Wazim Akram. It's a, it's a great privilege. Well, Gideon, uh, we're wondering if you were still playing. I take it you're still playing. You might be able to get him down and uh, roll the arm over in one of your Saturday games. He might cut a swathe through that competition, I'd expect. You are not the first person <laughs> to make that suggestion by any means. And well, usually on a Friday night, there are a few vacancies in the 11s as well. <laughs> uh, Gideon, if you were to ask him what was his proudest moment as a Pakistani cricketer, what would it be, do you think? Oh look, I think the 1992 World Cup final was um, was a bit of a revelation for uh, for all concerned. I mean, it's one of the great sporting romances, isn't it? Um, they lost three of their first four games. Uh, if they'd uh, if the game in Adelaide hadn't been washed out, they would have been eliminated. Uh, they get the opportunity to play in the final, and and Waz becomes man of the match and bowls you know two of the great spells in uh, in, in World Cup cricket, uh, and becomes. You know, at that stage, probably the best cricketer in the world, from a man with such a humble background, uh, and to and to play it alongside his hero Imran Khan, a man who's still his hero. Um, they're they're unforgettable memories, uh, and to do it in front of eighty eight thousand fans at the MCG. I mean, what an amazing fairy story for for a guy from from such a humble background. But I think he's also really proud of his kids these days. You know, his boys have done really well at, um, in, their, in their educations in the US. I think um, Shanira has helped him put his life back together after the, the tragic death of his, of his first wife. He seems like a man who's very settled, very comfortable with himself, and perhaps only that kind of man can, uh, can sit down at length and, uh, and, and discuss those things that, that have happened to him in a, in a sane and, and rational and appreciative way. Uh, Gideon, uh, yeah, you've done a marvellous job with this book. Its title is Sultan, a memoir, was a macram. Um, I'm halfway through it. Uh, if you haven't got it, go and get it. It's fantastic. Really appreciate your time this morning, Gideon. Looking forward to seeing you out and about in the next week promoting this book with Wasim himself. Thanks for your no time problem. this morning. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Andrew.